Hello and welcome to episode 6 of Hoppy Night in Canada, or if it was a Friends episode, it would be subtitled, The One in Which Dave is the Worst. <laughs> a quick early apology to you, John, and the listeners. Uh, I was left holding the bag a little bit when the liquor store I went to did not have our common beer. I checked online, they said yes, when I got there it said no. <laughs> so today, I will not be drinking the common beer. John will be drinking it by himself, but I will endeavor to get a taste of it before the next episode so that I can give it a rating then. That's fair. And you've, if I remember correctly, you've had it before, uh, not to, not in the not too distant past. So Correct. you Correct. might be able to I cast your mind back, give a sort of recollection. Okay, I can probably do yeah, that. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, so with that, we can actually just jump straight into that shared beer that one of us is sharing. <laughs> <laughs> so our beer, so our beer style this episode is Hefeweizens. So we've already done Belgian wits. So the Belgian style wheat beer. We're now going to be covering the German style wheat beer or Hefeweizen. And the shared beer is the Heyday Hefeweizen from Granville Island Brewing in Vancouver, BC. Yep. And I, I wish I was cracking a bottle of it right now, but unfortunately, <laughs> another day. Now that's, as a mild curiosity, is it, in Vancouver, is it mostly, is it bottles, cans? Like how do you, how would you normally get a hold of it? It's six pack bottles. This oh, year. interesting. Last, last year, it was in four pack Tallboy cans, which I much, much preferred. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the one I picked up from the LCBO is a, you can buy them by the single in Tallboy cans, and that seems to be the only method you can get them here. See, I, I wish that was the method here too, because that is there's something about like summer, summery outside beers like Hefeweizens that where a Tallboy can is just the perfect vessel. Yeah, it's just the right amount of size for a beer like this. Yeah. So, uh, Hefeweizens are, as John mentioned, a traditional German wheat beer. Uh, roughly equivalent to the Belgian wit beer. They're typically more simple, I guess, than Belgian wits. Belgian wits often have the additional spices added, whereas your German Hefeweizen has, is usually follows, roughly follows that Bavarian purity law that says, you know, barley, hops, yeast, and water. In this case, they use some wheat as a deviation from the purity law, but they don't add any additional flavors, any flavors outside of sort of the realm of your traditional beers that come in the Hefeweizen come from the yeast. Yeah, a, a lot of the a lot of the kind of traditional examples of Hefeweizens, if I remember correctly, you hear the flavor banana show up a lot. Yep. And that, as far as I know, is directly related to the, the strains of yeast that would normally be used in Hefeweizen. Yeah, for sure. The two prevalent ones are, are banana and clove is also another flavor that you have oh, okay. hear. So it gives that kind of a little bit of spiciness to balance out the little, I guess, sweeter banana. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're typically extremely light beers, color-wise. They're a, a light yellow, usually unfiltered. You can get some filtered Hefeweizens, but that sort of defeats the purpose. <laughs> so they're kind of they're cloudy white beers. The, the main flavor, the flavor driver is the yeast for sure. And with, with a certain amount of wheat flavor as well. Mm -hmm. um, now, yeah. the the wheat, if I remember correctly, so it, I'm not sure if it's a requirement of the style, but it's normally a, like a 50-50 split between um, malted wheat and malted barley, I guess, used as the grain? Yeah, roughly. Okay, but I guess that can change per 
per stock per recipe per brewery sort of thing yes of course yeah that's 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 true um oftentimes you usually won't see anything that's all wheat just because wheat doesn't um i guess it doesn't have the same efficiency as like brewing efficiency as barley Mm -hmm. so bar when you're when brewers are brewing beer they use two row barley as the base malt for just about all beers and that adds the sugars that the yeast ferment or the majority of the sugars that the yeast ferment and then when they're at when brewers are adding different grains to add flavor they add smaller amounts of them uh because they just don't have like your, your different roasted roasted barleys or um kiln the barleys or wheat or anything like that they they don't have the same kind of efficiencies in terms of being broken down by the uh enzymes which the actual science behind brewing is, would probably be a fun topic for another episode, but not today. Yeah, for sure. It wouldn't break down enough from the enzymes, and there wouldn't be enough sugars for the yeast to ferment to give it sort of the flavors that you're looking for. Um, right. So there does, there, that's that's the, the reasoning behind the sort of 50-50 split. Okay, that makes sense. And the wheat, uh, I mean, this is casting back to, we may have covered it in the Belgian wit episode, but also casting back to homebrewing days. Wheat when included in the beer can also help with things like head retention. So the, the foam obviously at the top of the beer called the head and that on a wheat beer, it's when you see them poured traditionally, there's, there's a pretty large head of foam on top of the beer. And that, if I remember correctly, also has to do with the wheat being added as part of the grain bill. Yeah, absolutely. It introduces different proteins, which create the, the head for sure. And typically, typically also which, what also contributes to the head on Hefeweizens is they're often carbonated more than traditional beers. Oh, okay. And they're typically low, very low on the hops. You'll see, usually see around 15 international bittering units of hops. And that's, yeah. I guess. I that's... think that's a pretty good, pretty good coverage of the style. Yeah. Uh, so with that, I I will give our shared beer a try. So I poured it out, actually speaking of, of sort of head retention on the beer pouring it out from a can uh it it doesn't retain very long i poured it kind of less than two minutes ago and it's already pretty much gone there's kind of a very slight amount like you say it's that sort of lighter gold haziness in color um definitely darker than the the belgian wits that we tried a couple of episodes ago but still quite light in the color scale Cool. Uh, i'm gonna give it a try that's very nice um, yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely got that sort of banana, slightly spicy flavor to it. Not bitter at all. There is sort of a sweetness. I feel like that lasts on the palate after the after you've finished the the mouthful. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, it's a really good basic example of the Hefeweizen style. It has the banana. It has the clove. It has the wheat flavor. There's nothing terribly special about it because it's a Granville Island product and there's not really anything terribly special about Granville Island products, but it is a very good basic example. Yeah, it's it's funny. It reminds me actually of, not in taste or anything, obviously, but the first episode that we did where we covered stouts and we had the Mill Street stout, which felt like this very standard, nothing additional going on, just a very standard example of that style. This feels much in the same way where if you're looking for a sort of quintessential example of a Hefeweizen brewed by a Canadian brewery. Just basic, nothing additional going on to it. Not bad in any way, just a good introduction to the style almost. This would probably do you pretty well. Yeah, yeah, no, very true. 
Very true. I'd probably go seven out of ten. There you go. That's a pretty solid rating. Yeah. Um, and as I said, I will endeavor to try it again before the next episode, and I will rate it posthumously. Posthumously isn't right. I will rate it later. <laughs> pretty good. And it will. Yeah, we'll we'll add it to the website once you've tracked down uh, a can or a bottle of it. And... Cool. All right. Well. I guess on to the next segment of the podcast. We're into what is the beer that has stood out since the last time we recorded for you? Yeah. So do you want to give yours first? Sure. I think I've mentioned this on a previous episode. It is one of the summer tall boy seasonals from Parallel 49, which of course everyone's going to kind of roll their eyes about, is a beer called Apricotopus. And I think I've mentioned it before, but it, they just it just came out from Parallel Forty Nine again, and it is a an apricot sour saison. Very and, nice, and it is phenomenal. It's not extremely sour; it's just nice and tart. Has a little bit of fruit flavor, and is, is insanely refreshing. Just amazingly refreshing. Nice. Um, so that is the one for me. I've had it actually. I've had it a couple of times since we recorded last. Pretty good. Yep. I mean, that's that's a mark of quality, you know, something that you're going to return back to and not just try once and say, yeah, it was good. I had it and then just walk away. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so on my end, I would probably go with so Nickelbrook Brewing, which is out in Burlington, Ontario. They may have made it before, but last year they put out a Berliner Weiss called Uber. OK. And I had it and it was very nice, but it was very, very tart and quite sour so this year what it looks like they've done is they've re-released it but with raspberry syrup introduced into it so it's the uber berliner weiss with raspberry so it's it's in the mix like yes oh okay okay yeah so it's pre-mixed with the addition of the fruit it's brought this really nice kind of sweetness into it to counterbalance the the tartness and it's a perfect patio beer and i had it the other day and it was really good perfect um yeah berliner races are interesting there's a few really good ones around vancouver uh four winds makes one that's really good steel toad has one or had one last summer i haven't tried it yet this year whether it's back or not and it's 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 interesting because sometimes like sometimes at a restaurant in fact one time when i was at craft last year they had the four winds berliner vice and they had made a couple of house-made syrups to add to it oh that's pretty cool yeah, and the one I specifically remember, the one at Kraft, was a strawberry basil syrup, and it was delicious. That would be um, really nice. Yeah, it was great. Very refreshing. So as a bit of background with Berliner Weisses style, so it's actually another German wheat beer style, sort of a, a it's, it's a sour wheat beer. Yep. And it's one of the kettle soured beers, if I remember correctly. So in a previous episode, we discussed the idea of kettle souring, which is adding a strain of yeast or other bacteria into the beer while it ferments. And so it sours as the beer conditions in the kettle. So uh, Berliner Weiss is that. It normally comes out, it's maybe not as sour as as some other sours that we've talked about, but it has that, that very, very sort of tart flavor. And something actually that Dave first told me, because I had no idea this was the case, but traditionally when it's served, it's served with syrup or cordial, like fruit flavoring on the side, and you add it in to add an amount of sweetness, to bring the sweetness up in the beer. Yes. And actually, the first ever traditional Berliner Weiss, um, the first one I ever had was at the Deschutes Brew Pub in Portland. And it was one of the special ones that they just made at the brew pub, and it, ha it came with raspberry syrup. And I remember I tried it, for the first time 
and it was super sour. And then I added a little bit of the syrup. It was still super sour, so I dumped all of the syrup in. <laughs> and it didn't quite mix because the stuff at the top was really good. And then I got to the bottom, it was really sweet. <laughs> but it was it was really good. Um, the first Berliner Weiss I remember anyone in Vancouver putting out was Parallel 49. This was, I want to say, possibly three summers ago now. They put one out called Little Red. And it was... I would say, without a doubt, the worst beer Parallel 49 has ever made. I was going to say, I remember when that came out, and I remember having it, and I want to say it was the first beer from them that I had that I just really did not like. It was, I I bought a bottle of it and actually poured most of it out. Um, it was bad. <laughs> it, had, it had cherries. It was a Berliner Weiss with cherries. And the cherries were mixed in beforehand, so it didn't like it didn't come with syrup or anything. But uh, I mean, that would be an interesting thing to see uh, if a brewery put out like a four pack of Berliner Weisses or something like that, and had a little like bottle of cordial that came with with it. That would be an interesting thing to see. I would I would definitely be interested in that if if a brewery wanted to pull it off. I don't know if it would ever happen, specifically because it's just one more thing they have to produce. Like yeah. one more, it's a different size of bottle and they probably, you would probably have to get different, like maybe have different food safe something for it. And, you know, I, 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 it would have to be one of the bigger breweries or something. And yeah. I, I don't see it happening, but it would be kind of cool if it did. Yeah. For the record, if anyone's looking, everyone needs a gimmick. And if someone's looking for a gimmick, you heard it here first. They should do that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Cool. So I guess that wraps up the beers of the moment. So I guess getting into the topic that we wanted to talk about today, this is actually almost a, a callback to something that we mentioned briefly in the very first episode, which is the idea of beer education or beer certification programs. And we both, in the first episode, I think we both professed some amount of interest in, in pursuing these at some point. Yes. And, uh, and yeah, so I figured I, it would be interesting to talk about sort of in the context of what they are, where they come from, and sort of what value they provide for people like us who don't work in the beer industry. Because it's something that I've actually, I've seen a couple times and seen a couple of people write pretty good blog posts about, which is just the idea of what, what value these provide both to the industry itself, but also to just people who may want to learn a little bit more about beer. Yeah, so the program I'm the most familiar with, and I think this is the one we're going to talk about today, is the Cicerone Certification Program. Mm -hmm. And the Cicerone is a registered term with from the, I guess, Cicerone Association. My understanding is it was started as a beer-focused version of your traditional wine sommelier program. Yeah, that's that's my understanding too. So I know it's... it. The Cicerone program was founded by a guy named Ray Daniels, who I think has worked in the beer industry for a long time and um, has done a lot in terms of homebrewing communities and things like that. So a, a kind of renowned person in the industry. He's written, I know, a number of books about beer and beer and food pairing and things like that. And yeah, my understanding was it's it's supposed to be the thing that you will see if you go to the website or see other people write it up, then yeah, the closest comparison is to the sommelier program, which if you're not familiar with it is a sort of multi-tiered certification specifically for mastery of knowledge in wine. 
Yes. And so Cicerone is kind of like that. Uh, there are multiple levels. The intro level is certified... Cicerone level one is certified beer server. And certified beer server is for people who work in the beer industry, but I guess aren't... Or they don't, I guess, aspire to be the absolute experts. It's more... A lot of restaurants, at least in Vancouver, a lot of the beer-focused restaurants put their put all of their staff through the Cicerone Level 1 training. So if you go to the St. Augustine, which we've discussed a bunch of times, the servers there are all certified Level 1 Cicerones. Oh, interesting. I actually didn't know. I knew um, Beercraft in Vancouver also has that. Yeah, same story at Beercraft. They all do Cicerone Level 1. And I, it's a... The, the cost for the exam is about $70 American. It's a 60-question multiple-choice exam, all online. There's no prerequisites. I'm sure there's a, a certain amount of studying that needs to be done. But it doesn't seem... It doesn't look to me like the Cicerone Level 1 is that uh, intensive. Yeah, I think... I mean, to my understanding, it's, it's it, exactly as you say. It's sort of that entry level into the world of knowing a bit more about beer and then having a sort of level of certification come along with it. So for people who are working in a bar that wants to sort of differentiate itself. Yeah. And, and be sort of have that sort of stamp of we hire people or we train people to know about craft beer specifically. And so my understanding is it covers a lot of things about beer styles, serving a a lot of the sort of basics of introduction. So if you want a sort of more formal introduction to beer styles, ways to serve it, pairing with food, um, I don't know if it gets into things like draft systems and like how, you know, how beer is served out of kegs and things like that. But it, I imagine it would cover things like that. And at the end of it, there's just, you have then a little stamp next to your name that says, hey, I, I know in a formal sense, a certain amount about beer. Exactly. And it is... Like I, anytime I go to a place and the servers are Cicerone certified, it just it's it's sort of a, a plus in my book just because I then know that if I ask the server a question about a particular beer, they're likely to know the answer. Because mm-hmm. it just is a mark, like you said, it's a mark of a place that wants to be that little sort of step above. Yeah, and I I mean, as we've said multiple times, we're um, enthusiastic amateurs in this beer thing. <laughs> Um, and I mean, I think I like to think my knowledge is pretty good in terms of beer. Um, and so I do like to be able to ask a question if I'm ordering a beer I've never had before and get some background information. Yeah. And I think therein lies the value for, I mean, I think obviously there's a value for people who work in the service industry, especially as sort of more bars in order to differentiate themselves, kind of say, hey, we're going to do, we're going to have more of a focus on craft beer. And so being able to have a sort of level of professional certification that goes along with that, there's definitely a benefit for people that work in the industry. And then, yeah, like you say, the sort of flip side, if you're just on the sort of amateur enthusiast level, would be partially just edification of your own knowledge. You want to learn more about the things you like, but then also being able to, I think, talk on a level when you go to a place that serves craft beer would also be kind of nice. Because then, yeah, like you say, you can have that sort of conversation where you're on the level of knowledge as the server. And so know what questions you want to ask to make sure you get the thing you want. Yeah, exactly. 
so that's the level Cicerone level one. Uh, Cicerone level two is certified Cicerone, and as as we said, Cicerone is a cert, is a registered trademark, and so t- for somebody to call themselves a Cicerone, they have to have passed the level two certification, and the level two has a syllabus that has five categories. They are keeping and serving beer, beer styles, beer flavor and evaluation, beer ingredients and brewing and brewing process, and beer pairing with food. They, each, each of these categories has sort of subcategories. Some of them, I mean, keeping and serving beer has A through H. You know, beer styles only has A through C. Uh, and so there, it's it's a fairly wide or it's a fairly broad course material. There aren't courses that are run for Cicerone. There's they have study material online that you can purchase and things like that. And there's I mean, they have a, like a Road to Cicerone boot camp which you can pay for. It's a five day intensive in person class which is wow. two grand two grand American. Um, or you can buy the books, which have all the study material, and you can do it yourself, which is, I think, a, about a hundred bucks. But it's it's an it's an it's an in person exam where you have other already certified cicerones and higher level cicerones, basically facilitating a written exam, tasting, and demonstration portions. Now, what I am actually curious what a demonstration portion would include. I guess demonstrating possibly pouring beer, things like that, like the actual the act of serving it. I think so. I think so. And so your certified Cicerone is really good for, you know, bartenders or manage, like managers at a place like Beercraft or the Alibi Room or something like that. Um, and I know that there are some, in Vancouver at least, I don't know that many people personally, but um, there are people that are avid homebrewers and things like that that are certified Cicerones. Mm-hmm. And that's where, yeah, I, it seems like... The difference between the beer server, the level one and beyond that is Cicerone could have value if you make beer as well as if you serve it, right? Like you're going to get this very in-depth understanding of styles, flavors. As far as I understand, a big portion of it is also understanding off flavors. So knowing when a beer, knowing what can introduce kind of bad or irregular tastes into the beer and where they come from. So things like that could have obviously has have value for people who work in the industry of serving beer, but could also benefit people who actually make it, both in a homebrewing sense and in a, in a more formal, actual working in a brewery. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so level two is, I think that's where most people get to. I know that the first Cicerone, the first certified Cicerone in, in Vancouver was a gentleman named Chester Carey, who is a... He runs through the Pacific Institute of Culinary Arts. He runs a, a uh, program called uh, Serious Beer, where he runs beer classes with sort of like beer pairing and cooking with beer and that kind oh, of stuff. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah. And so he does that. Um, he also works for Brewery Creek, the liquor store. Uh, he was in charge of the Brewery Creek Brewing imprint at Callister. Um, so so yeah, he's, got, he's got his hands in a lot of different things. Yeah, Chester's a busy guy. Yeah. So that's level two. Yeah. Now, for for 
I'd almost be interested because I know, so Cicerone, I think last year, moved from three levels to four levels. And so it may almost be worth jumping. We'll jump level three for the moment and go straight to the last one because then there's a reason why level three now exists because it didn't used to until last year. Um, because So the, the final level, which used to be level three, is now level four, is Master Cicerone. And that is, as far as I understand, uh, it's a two-day SAT exam which is only offered twice a year. More people apply than get to take it. It's like it's picked by lottery. I think there's a dozen participants in the exam each year. And as far as I understand, it's an incredibly hard thing to pass, much like the Master Sommelier exam. There's a documentary about how hard the Sommelier exam is uh, called Somme, and it's on Netflix and everyone should watch it because it's great. It's amazing. It's, it's really a lot of fun. And I think actually also kind of helps inform some of this conversation about the the level of dedication required to pass an exam of this caliber. Cause my, my understanding from the number of people, like, like you said, there, there are a lot of people who get that sort of certified Cicerone level and then cap out there. Cause that's a, a good enough understanding and, a, and a, an in-depth understanding of a lot of things related to beer. By contrast, master Cicerones, there are 11 of them. Total. Yes. So <laughs> you can actually go on the web. This is the interesting thing. So on the Cicerone website, you can actually go and search anyone who has, because it's a, a formal certification, you can search anyone who has any level of the certification and you can filter the list by what level they have it. And so if you filter down to master Cicerone, there are 11 people that hold it. And only, I think only one in Canada. There is only one. Uh, her name is Mirella Amato. And I know that because she runs the Ontario Craft Brewers podcast. Yes. Which is pretty cool. And they, they pull in a lot of beer writers and brewers, and they, they try a couple of different things each episode. It's, it's an interesting podcast to listen to if you're in Ontario and want to know more about local craft beer specifically. I've heard, I've read some articles about her, and again, um, people that I know have met her, and apparently she is just an insanely interesting person and very, very insanely knowledgeable yeah. about yeah. beer. Her book... She wrote a book, uh, which is a sort of introductory crash course to beer called Beerology. And it does a lot of things. We were talking about all different styles, obviously. And it, it covers a lot of the main styles, pairing with food, a couple of different things. It's a great sort of, not even 101. It's like 100 slash 200 level course on beer if you want to start getting into it. It's a great introduction. And one of the really nice things is that a lot of the beer styles have specifically Canadian examples. Oh, awesome. So when you're looking for, oh, what if I want to try a stout? It's going to have a Canadian example of a stout as well as some of the other kind of classic international styles. Cool. Yeah, it looks like um, just just looking, as you said, I searched for just Masters uh, Cicerones. It looks like a lot of them either work for breweries or consult with yeah. breweries. That's, that is the other interesting part. You can see who people work for when yeah. you when you filter on the website. And yeah, the higher up you go, I think the more people either, like you say, they, they either consult with brewers, they work for a brewery. Once you start getting into these higher levels of understanding and knowledge, it seems like that's the direction that people tend to go. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of people that don't appear to have a, you know, a company connection. But yeah, it's a lot of, I'm just looking at the advanced, or the, the Master Cicerone and it's, you know, or uh, Duvel America and... Um, the brewery and yeah. Yeah. I think the um, two, two of the brewers, the head brewer and maybe someone else from Brewdog in the UK in, in Scotland. Um, yeah. I think they both hold Master Cicerone. Yeah. It's, it's, 
it's a hard thing to pull off as far as I understand. And yeah, as far as I, I, I believe the exam is two days in length. Like I say, it, it only sits twice a year. It's a very hard thing to do. Yeah. And so my understanding is this, because there's a fairly large leap, and I think that they notice that there's this large gap between tons of people who have, maybe not tons, but hundreds of people who have certified Cicerone, and then so few people that hold this master Cicerone designation, that they wanted to try and create a stepping stone level in between those two. And so this le- this new level three was born, which is advanced Cicerone, which as far as I understand is supposed to split the difference between the level of knowledge required for certified Cicerone and then the sort of almost unattainable amount of knowledge needed for for master yeah and that's i mean to me that just seems like that's just smart because it gives people that are i don't know maybe like you and me who are more sort of amateurish and doing it for fun and for interest more than doing it for a professional sense it gives you and it gives the addition you an additional step to sort of um strive to yeah whereas like thinking, thinking about being a master cicerone, I, I, I don't, I don't know that there would be a point for me. I, yeah, I already, absolutely. I already have a, you know, I, I am a, a, a professional in a different industry. I have a career which I enjoy, and that's what I sort of intend to pr- continue pursuing. So I, I like becoming a master cicerone is, to, in my mind, kind of a career thing. Yeah, it definitely seems that way, right? Like by the time you're getting up into those higher levels, it clearly seems like it, it's a career-oriented designation as opposed to the lower, the, the first, and maybe even for a number of people, that second level of becoming a certified Cicerone could just be something that you pull off as a hobby. Like if it's the thing you like doing, if you like thinking about, talking about, drinking beer, like it may just be a thing that you want to get for the sake of getting it. Yeah. And so, yeah, that third level seems to split the difference of like if you are a dedicated hobbyist or a homebrewer or things like that and maybe you're not working as a professional in the field but you want that extra level of knowledge it kind of it gives you that additional level that you can get to yeah yeah and i don't i mean i know uh there there are a couple of blogs that i had read back when they had announced that third level and if i remember correctly a lot of people approach it with some amount of skepticism because obviously certification programs you know, you pay to sit an exam, you pay for books or courses, like we were just saying. And I think some people viewed it as a bit of a cash grab. Yeah. Now, I can't say with authority whether or not, like, I, these people think about and write about beer more than I do. So maybe they know something I don't. And I think it's early days yet to know exactly what place that third level will hold but at least to me like coming at it from a purely amateur perspective i can sort of see why you would want that especially if you're seeing that like you get a lot of people who are getting this level two and no one is or almost no one's achieving level three yeah you may just want that additional level to say well here's a little bit more of an attainable goal Mm -hmm. and so so when when was level three brought in because it looks like just looking on on the registry there's only something like nine of them right now yeah as far as i can remember it was like summer or fall of last year. Okay, so it, it it's I mean it was last year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that so in the last year there's been almost as many people uh, become advanced cicerones as there have ever been master cicerones. Yeah, and so that may speak for itself of this idea of well if there's another level that is obviously doesn't hold that same kind of level of prestige within the industry, but clearly says I'm further along than 
hobbyists, amateurs, things like that. Like you're, you're clearly taking, taking a further step in the road of your education, but you may just not be aiming for that final, nearly unattainable um, pinnacle at the end, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the, the main one. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the, so there, there's a Canadian specific beer education program and I say Canadian specific. It's as far as I understand, it's pretty much centered in Ontario, but there is in Ontario, you see a lot of people who mention at least the, the Prudhomme certification program. Yes. So this was started by a guy named Roger Mittag, I think. And okay. who worked and consulted with a number of breweries and developed, as far as I understand, like beer education programs within breweries that he worked for over the years. Uh, similar story, like he's, he's built his career in the beer industry. And then in sort of the mid 2000s, founded a company purely for beer education purposes. So runs seminars on beer and food pairings and all that sort of stuff. But also now has built this sort of education slash certification program called Prudhomme. So the big difference between it and Cicerone is that all of the Prudhomme levels require in-person classes. I say require. Level one, I believe you can do online. But all of them are oriented towards classroom-style learning. So it's spread out over uh, a couple of months on weekends or like one night a week or something like that. And it's small group learning. And then at the end of it, there's an exam. And if you pass the exam, you get that level of certification along with it. Okay. Um. And as far as I understand, like the the big difference, not that it isn't built around, obviously understand, like people who work in industry, there would be a lot of value. And it covers, as far as I understand, similar things to what the Cicerone exams uh, have on their syllabus. But the difference is being in a classroom setting, there's more of a sort of group atmosphere of learning how to talk about beer as much as learning about the, the facts about it as well. Okay. Um, there's actually, there's a really good blog post by an Ontario beer writer uh, named Robin LeBlanc. And she sort of lays out the differences between the two. And that's sort of the big distinction that she says is like Cicerone being just an exam is a, it's a certification. It kind of, it says that you know this much about beer. Whereas the Prudhomme having that sort of education or classroom component also tries to encourage the sort of discussion and enthusiasm aspect of it okay which, which i find really interesting and i think the, the so the first level of it, it also has four levels it used to have three and it expanded to four as well um but the the first level as opposed to so cicerone has beer server the first level for prudhomme is just beer enthusiast ah. which i find really charming oh that, yeah the best uh and then it goes to uh level two is beer specialist and then beer sommelier and then master sommelier which I guess okay. becomes a little confusing because you have to then say, I'm a master sommelier, but in beer. Yes. But at any rate, um, so it's a it, it's a sort of Canadian-specific beer education program, mostly at this point, as far as I understand, Ontario-specific. But it seems like an interesting thing, and I've actually thought quite a bit about taking one of probably that, that first-level course because it seems like it would be a fun way to pass the time. You meet some other people who are interested in beer, and you get to kind of talk about it. And again, you, you gain that information, but you also gain it in a group context which is kind of cool yeah yeah so. that sounds really cool yeah cool yeah so i mean i i think that pretty well covers it just the idea that you know it's it's something i feel like that i keep coming back to being interested in because obviously you know making this podcast reading blogs trying new beers like it's it's fun and interesting and there's an amount that i can learn on my own but there's something to be said for the notion of 
formalizing the education to some degree, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. E- even on purely an enthusiast level, I kind of like the idea of being able to say like, yeah, I went through and I know like this syllabus about things. If nothing else, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely, it's definitely something that I'm quite interested in. Um, I have like, there's in my mind, there's that, that like being a certified Cicerone, I don't want to say validates cause that's not the right term at all. I'm not, I don't, I don't feel like I'm like my opinions are invalid by not having that, but it just kind of, um, I guess it would sort of solidify some of the like maybe wilder opinions that I have about <laughs> beer. So then know. you get to justify everything by being like, yeah, but listen, I'm a certified Cicerone and That's right. I believe Bud Light Lime is. <laughs> yeah. So that is that section of the podcast. Um, one thing I want to mention well, before I forget, uh, those of you who follow us on Twitter, uh, I retweeted something from a friend of the podcast, another John. I don't know how many people saw it, but news to me, apparently if you're in Alberta and I think Saskatchewan, you can get President's Choice IPA. Oh, I saw this. <laughs> and as my as as friend of the podcast John said, it's Galen's finest. And he has he still has some that he brought back from his uh, trip and promised to give me a can as long as I mention it on the podcast. So here I am mentioning it, and when he does give me a can of it, I will taste it and review it for the fine podcast listeners because I was. I was speechless when I saw that. that so good. Perfect. Cool. Uh, I guess it's time to drink our common beers. So do you want to... I You've already drank a beer this episode, so why don't I go first? Sounds good. I, for my individual Hefeweizen, this time I went back to Vancouver Island, as I did with the Custom Kolsch last time, and I picked up a bottle of This Is Hefeweizen. From, or this is Hefeweizen in brackets, German wheat beer, from the Moon Brew Pub, or the Moon Brewery, which used to be called Moon Underwater and has now just gone to Moon Brew Pub, and it is, or Moon Brewery. It's a brew pub in Victoria that also produces and you know packages and distributes their beer, and it's it's actually like it's a, a pretty great little pub. If people, if listeners are in Victoria. Um, I would highly recommend going to the Moon Brew Pub. The food is good. It's sort of that British style of order at the bar. They'll bring you the, your food, but there's no waitress coming around. So if you want another beer, you just go to the bar and order it. Um, it's and it's 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 kind of it's it's got a charming feel to it in that sense. I really like the Moon in terms of the, the pub, and most of their beer is really good. Um, a lot of it's kind of, like, none of it's bad. Some of it's a little bit sort of hit or miss. Most of it is is strong, but not exceptional. Hmm. So, it's uh, a little bit, the, the beer is a little bit darker orange color than a lot of traditional Hefeweizens. It's very cloudy. It's got a big white puffy head, as is traditional with Hefs. Smells like yeast. Hmm, that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. It's got a lot of, it's got a lot of banana flavor. It's got a lot of the kind of, I don't know. I, there's, I, I don't know what the name of the compounds, but there's, there's a lot of the traditional yeast flavor going on in there. 
It's a little bit astringent. Um, so, I mean, I don't know whether that means it was mashed at not quite the right temperature or something, but like, it's, yeah, it's a little astringent, so it's a, there's a little bit of sort of bitter sharpness to it, which is a bit of it, which is, uh, I believe, is an off flavor in this sense. But it is pretty good. It's pretty good. I would rate it... Second sip, um, six and a half, I think. Not yeah, bad. Six and a half. Not yeah. a bad beer. I don't know that I would seek it out again. Yeah. But, but a good beer, I, 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 a good beer, not a great beer. That's fair. There is that with, um, I, I can think of a couple of breweries that I put in that similar category of good, but I have never had anything outstanding from them. And it's like, I'll, I'll, I'm always intrigued and I'll try more from them, but it's not like I've ever had anything and said, yes, this is one that I will recommend to anyone who will listen and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very much. So what have you got for your, what's, what's the Ontario Hefeweizen in this time? So I went uh, figuratively, not literally, but I went figuratively north to the Muskoka region to Bracebridge and I picked up. Yeah, I, I went to the LCBO, basically, and I bought uh, the Summer Vice from Muskoka Brewery. So this is actually one of two wheat beers they make. They make another one in winter called Winter Vice, and that one is a dark wheat beer, or a, a, a Dunkel Vice beer. Okay. But this one is, yeah, this is their summer um, Hefeweizen style. So in comparison with the Granville Island, it's... there's similar to when we were talking about Kolsch's, like if you handed this to me and told me it was a lager, I wouldn't question it. It's a little bit cloudier than what I would uh, say with a lager, but it's very similar in color and there's almost no head retention. So actually very different from what we were talking about with the, with the other styles of beer. Huh? Um, so yeah, I'll give it a try. Hmm. It's, it's not bad. Um, it's a little thin, I guess, is the way that I would describe it. It doesn't pack as much flavor, I would say, as the as the Granville Hefeweizen. Okay. And as much as many other Hefeweizens that I've had over the years. It, yeah, it feels a little bit kind of thin. Flavor doesn't really last that long. Um, the, the flavor itself, like the taste isn't bad. It has kind of those traditional half of ice and notes that kind of fruity kind of a little bit banana-y flavor less of a sort of spicy note to it than the than the granville had right um the nose is interesting there's something kind of sharp and almost like minty going on on the on the smell of it huh uh and it doesn't come through in the taste at all and i can't quite place it but it, there's something there's something in the aroma that doesn't quite sell me huh um yeah it's i mean it's fine. Um, I don't think... There are a number of other Hefeweizens I think, that come to mind that I would have over this. And it's not necessarily bad. It's just not particularly good. There you go. So, so rating? Uh, I'd go probably 5 out of 10. All right. I wouldn't... Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't seek it out again. I've had other Muskoka beers that I have liked. Um, yeah. This isn't necessarily one of them. They do actually make, as far as their summer beers go, and now I think it's a year round that they make, but I've mentioned it before, their Detour Session Ale yeah. is really nice. 
It's uh, in a choice between the two. If I was looking for a beer from Muskoka to have on a patio somewhere, I would go for their detour pretty much any day. Yep. This I would probably not have again. Yeah. Um, yeah. They use Muskoka briefly during last summer, briefly distributed to BC. They pulled the pin on it after about four months, which was kind of disappointing. That's unfortunate. Um, but they had the, I think it was the Mad Tom. Yeah, they're, that's their their standard IPA. Yeah, and then and we have the Detour, and I tried it one time, and it was really good. Yeah. It really was really good. Detour is one of the nicer um, ISAs or, or session ales that we get out here. There's quite a few breweries that are that are getting in on the on the session ale yep. train that have been over the past couple of years, yep. but I'd say Detour gets it pretty right. They also make a really nice, actually, double IPA, which is just called Twice as Mad Tom. Um, that one is pretty nice and I've seen it more frequently at the LCBO. It's a little bit more widely available, but if you, if you like that hoppier style for anyone who's listening, who's had the mad Tom, I would recommend trying the, the twice as mad. Uh, it's, it's a really nice double IPA. Cool. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think that just about does it for us tonight. Yeah. Um, thank you to everybody who's listening. Uh, please rate. And if you have a minute review, our, the podcast on iTunes, uh, in doing so, gives the opportunity for other people to discover the podcast. Yeah. Did we, uh, we, do, we didn't actually discuss that we somehow ended up on the new and noteworthy section. We did end up on the new and noteworthy section for yeah. food and drink in Canada, I think. Yeah. Food, food in Canada. Yeah. So we ended up, so uh, iTunes categories, you put it's arts and culture, and then under that it's food. But we are in, I think, the top... 10 or top 12 we show up on the front page at least yeah so everybody if, if you're listening please take a moment rate and review push us further up that list so yeah. that other people can discover it um share us with share with your friends uh send us an email hoppy night in canada at gmail.com yeah any any new email will uh will we'll handle it as a mailbag and it may end up on the next episode yep uh yeah and if you have any ideas for the show get in touch via twitter yeah, Hoppy Night CA is our Twitter handle. Yep. Uh, website also hoppynight.ca. And we put up the beers that we drink and links to uh, various rating systems, if that's your fancy. And you can see how we compare to everyone else out there on the internet. Yep. All right, I think that pretty much does it. Well, yep, from Vancouver, I've been Dave, all, a.k.a. the worst. <laughs> I am still John in Toronto. Cheers. <laughs>